0: Welcome
1: back to the horrors. Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Shay. Happy 2021. Happy friggin new year. This is our first episode of the new year. It is. We took a week off
0: because we fucking deserved it. (laughs) (laughs) That's correct. And now we're back. Yeah, we are. It's good to be back. Can I tell you something I did with my time off? Yes. It has to do with our last episode and something we talked about in our last episode.
1: Oh, our last episode was host. Yes. Um, a seance, a seance, a seance. I did not, no, no, oh, no, Oh my God, no. oh my God, you really had me there. Something we talked about, that's not a seance? It's
0: not a seance.
1: Okay, what is it? I watched Flavor of Love. <laughs> oh my God.
0: <laughs> Which one, the season with New York? Not with New York, the second oh season. Oh my God, what did you think? It's, it's a moment in time. It,
1: When was that? Like 2007? I don't know. All I remember looking
0: up about this show is that he doesn't end up with the winner of this season. And I didn't get all the way through, to be fair. I got about four episodes in because it is my girlfriend's comfort show or one of them. So we just... It is. She was like, you know what I really want to watch? I really want to watch that. I'm just like, you know, we just talked about that. And she's like, maybe you like implanted that memory in my head or something. But I watched a little bit of season two. And now I've just been saying... You know what time it is around the house. <laughs> just I, unironically.
1: That is so funny. Where do you watch that? Like, where did you get it? It's on Hulu. I'll be damned. Maybe I should take a trip down memory lane.
0: It is a complete blind spot in that moment in time for me. The fact that something like this exists, <laughs> it just, I don't know. Like, it is just something different. Because my comparison was Tilo tequila shot at love. But this is something, it is just... <laughs> The early 2000s at their best and worst simultaneously. I, I think. remember,
1: I think that I watched Flavor of Love the summer that I had this babysitter that didn't care very much. And so, like, my, my parents, so my parents both worked and we weren't old enough basically to stay home alone the whole day. And my parents had a babysitter whom we knew from like other places, but she ended up not being very fun. And we just would sit around all day and watch Flavor of Love and the Springer Show and Maury and all of this weird TV. Like, I just have all of these weird memories of finally watching the TV that my parents weren't fans of watching or letting their kids watch. It was like a good coming of age summer, I guess.
0: (laughs) I don't know. I think for me, like back in that time, I would routinely on my summer break stay up until 3 or 4 Mm a.m. and sleep until like 2 p.m. So, I really had the late night gamut of just watching an entire season of a reality show that they were playing <laughs> on, like Oxygen or Ugh. something like that. For me, that was America's Next Top Model. It, that's precisely that. That's why I have an extensive <laughs> knowledge of America's Next Top Model and the older <laughs> seasons of Degrassi. Like, but Flavor of Love was a blind spot. And now I'm just really glad to be back in the loop. That man's clocks are something else. So big. Well, this episode that I watched a contestant shit on the floor what yeah somebody i forget i think her name was like that and that was another thing the branding of the names Mm -hmm. i was that just threw me
1: it was so crazy because i feel like at that time there was only like the bachelor and the bachelorette and then all of a sudden flavor of love shows up on the scene and it like takes everything that the bachelor slash bachelorette is and just makes it crazy
0: I wonder if it was in tandem with Tila Tequila because that I think it was. It I think probably it probably
1: had to be. Maybe its first season was before the first season of Tila Tequila. But I, I do remember seeing, I think, advertisements for Tila Tequila when I would be watching Flavor of Love. I don't know. I hope he's doing well. I really hope we're he's sending, doing well. We're sending we're sending Flava Flav, our love, from the podcast tonight.
0: Yes, the horrors love flavor flav. <laughs>
1: Speaking of dating shows and making people play weird games in order to win your favor, we're going to talk about our movie of the week.
0: Exactly. There's no clocks to hand out in this one, but there is a handing
1: out of weapons at a wedding. Mm -hmm. And there is a race against the clock. (laughs) Oh my God.
0: (laughs) So today we're talking about 2019's Ready or Not. Mm -hmm. and I believe this is one of the movies that you were really excited to cover
1: yeah lately I've been seeing this movie just come up here and there and it seemed very interesting to me and it was on our list of movies that we eventually wanted to cover just a movie that has really interesting women and and parts in it and so we decided to watch it for this week and I loved it is this your favorite so far I think this is Favorite so far. Like, I would watch this again. I would recommend this. Wow. Like, it's so good. And it has everything that I love, right? Like, something that I love, and I think I've mentioned this before, is a backstory. And the movie starts with a flashback, which, oh my God, am I obsessed with a flashback? A good flashback that ends up coming into play later. It's just so good. And I love the costuming. It's a comedy horror, and it's actually funny. I love the characters, and nothing is infuriating. Oh, there's one thing that I thought was really annoying, but everything was, like, smart. And I just think it was really, really good.
0: And the final girl is capable as fuck. Yes, she is. And she's funny, and she's sympathetic. I also am just partial because I fucking love Samara Weaving, who plays our leading lady, Grace. She plays a lot of badass women in horror. Like, she is in the Babysitter films, which I definitely want to cover in in another movie called Mayhem. And mm-hmm. I just think she is so funny, but she can be so intense mm-hmm. and so raw at the same time that watching her is just a treat. And there's actually a lot of ladies in this film to be talked about, really.
1: Yeah, there are. And they're also different, which is fun. And yeah, Samara Weaving, this is the first film I think I've seen her in. And so I definitely think that it makes some of those other films you listed more appealing, knowing that she'll be in them, because I I enjoyed watching her in this one so much. So let's talk about it. Okay, so the movie starts with a flashback, as I mentioned, and I love flashbacks. And we know it's a flashback because there's that sort of like... Sepia tone. Yes, and the slight blur, right? As though you're looking through some sort of looking glass. There's little boys running through this big, old, dark woody house and their little matching striped pajama sets. We see an older brother tell his little brother to hide in a wardrobe or some sort of closet in the hallway. And his brother does so and listens. The little brother's name is Alex. Big brother's name is Daniel. Somehow that's introduced to us, I guess, through their dialogue to one another. Next thing we know, we see an injured man running down the hallway. He comes up to Daniel. He's like, oh my gosh, Daniel, thank God. I'm like, I need your help. They're trying to kill me. They're trying to kill me. And we can see that he's wounded. He has, I think it may be an arrow or two in his chest. But Daniel, looking at the man, starts yelling, he's over here, he's over here. And the rest of the family in masks turns the corner and shoots this man with even more arrows and drags him away. And we see that he had just gotten married because his wife is crying, reaching out to him. And we see that this is some sort of weird game that takes place on the eve of the wedding where somebody new comes into the family
0: so that's the flashback we get and then cuts to present day and we have grace who is played by samara weaving sitting and overlooking this courtyard of the same house it's a mansion they're having like a backyard wedding of sorts but it's one of those houses where you call the backyard the grounds like it is huge there is a lot of wealth in this family she is nervous. she is like chain smoking cigarettes mm-hmm. and she's just kind of like looking at herself in the mirror, being like, "Oh my gosh, like this is happening. I'm doing this." Her fiance Alex, who was the littler of the two little boys, mm-hmm. in- the one in
1: the wardrobe,
0: yes comes and is like, oh my god, he looks so beautiful, and they're talking, and throughout their dialogue, you can sense that both of them have a disdain for his uber-rich family that she's marrying into, but Alex definitely has more disdain. It's revealed that he hadn't been home in two years, and that Grace and Alex have only been together about 18 months, and they are getting married And his family insisted that it happen at their house, as is tradition in their family. And Alex just seems really is it trepidation
1: like what's the word? He has trepidations about the day.
0: Yeah. He's tripping. Uh, (laughs) Alex is (laughs) tripping. He ner- he's a nervous Nelly, and he's like, you know, if you like, want an out, if this is mm-hmm. too intense. And, but she's just like, no, you know where I came from. I don't want an out, which mm-hmm. is giving some foreshadowing into a little bit of her background. And then Daniel, Alex's brother, comes in to collect him. He's played by Adam Brody, and I only mention that because... I love Adam Brody in ho- in horror specifically. He's also in Jennifer's Body. So, oh! And I love,
1: yeah, I love his
0: character in Jennifer's Body. Well, it's okay. Well, I have sucks. never seen it,
1: but I know that you love it. Yes. And we will watch it eventually. So he's in there.
0: He even is like, you sure you want to do this? You, you should leave now. Get out while you can. Blah, 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 blah. And then we kind of get introduced to more of the larger family during pre-wedding photos.
1: Yes. And as these pre-wedding photos are happening, we kind of get little snippets of dialogue where we're kind of getting little hints into how each of the characters feels about the wedding and about Grace. And this is kind of a comical scene. I think it just reminds me of like the gossip that families have and the opinions that they have and that they share with other people. But I think by far the most intimidating person we see on the lawn during the wedding pictures is Aunt Helene. Anyway, she's kind of... What does freaky. she look... Her hair. So her hair is short. Like, I would say like an icy blonde. And she has it sort of quaffed back.
0: She looks like a hawk almost. Yes,
1: that's such a good way to describe it. Like,
0: and it just seems like her entire figure is almost... Even though she's like this older woman. And she just looks so intimidating and beady. And like, she's like lunging forward.
1: And she Jesus. also has great eye makeup. She does. <laughs>
0: So Anne Helene is played by Nikki Goddagny and she's also in Cube, which is a cult horror movie. A lot of people like that. She's in Silent Hill. And I thought this was fun. She played Elizabeth Proctor in a TV adaptation of the Salem Witch
1: Trials.
0: What? Always bringing it back to the
1: Puritan ladies. Oh, my God. That is so cool. Also on
0: the line, we meet the father. The father is kind of telling Alex, you couldn't have done any better. You couldn't have brought somebody else home. Then you meet Daniel's wife, Charity, who also married into the family. Charity is played by Elise Levesque. Hey. Spelled the same way you spell it. Hey. And she is in Orphan Black and the originals. So some TV horror for you Mm -hmm. there. And Charity does not like Grace very much.
1: I just realized her name is Charity, and the other girl's name is Grace. Those very, like, virtuous names to have. Precisely that. Huh. I know. So, yeah, Charity, you can tell,
0: has disdain for even widening the family or having to almost distribute any level of that family's wealth even further. Her and Daniel don't get along. Daniel has a pretty obvious drinking problem and just seems to have a larger disdain for his family even than Alex does. And then you're introduced to Becky Ledomas, which is played by Andy McDowell. And she's in Groundhog Day and also just a ton of other stuff on TV and movies. I couldn't uh-huh. see very much horror, but she's obviously a very accomplished actress. The mom, Becky, she seems the most sympathetic to Grace, so she goes up to Grace and lights up a cigarette, which is kind of
1: seen as a bonding thing for folks who married into the family. I actually thought that there was some weird undertones there because when she lights her cigarette, she has Grace lend her the hand to, like, keep the flame lit long enough to light the cigarette, and I feel like I've seen that done a lot, like, in older times. Like, butlers do that. Like butlers will Mm. give the lighter and like use their hand to guard the flame so the person's cigarette will be lit. And, you know, we don't do that. That's not really like etiquette for today or when this movie is set. But I thought that that was interesting that even though it's kind of a bonding moment, there's still a hierarchy being established by her getting Grace's hand to guard the flame.
0: Right. No, that's definitely interesting. I guess I was just thinking about it that it's not like the mom was smoking a cigarette to make Grace feel more at ease. She had her own carrier with her, Mm -hmm. and... Even you see Charity later on smoking a cigarette out of frustration, but you don't see any members of the Ladomus family smoking by themselves. It's always mm. like the in-laws or people who married in are just so nervous to mess up what they have that they're just chain smoking. And obviously, it's an oral fixation. Oh, we love the tiny dicks. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. As always... So while these photos are being taken, the mother goes up to Grace and she's like, you know, we really like you. I came from a similar background as you. She's really just trying to be welcoming to her and make her feel more at ease about the day. I'm also going to call attention to the way that Grace is dressed her because her dress covers her from like Mm -hmm. neck to feet. Like she is wearing a full length dress. It's a very fitting dress. It looks very nice on her, but she has very lacy sleeves and a whole lacy top. And the dress goes all the way to the floor. So the only thing you're really seeing is her face. Very virtuous. Very classic. So the wedding goes on. They kiss, they seem very happy about it, and then Alex and Grace go to the bedroom.
1: Yeah, and there's a scene where it's very cute and playful, Grace playfully tackles Alex on the bed, and they're kissing, and they're about to get it on, when all of a sudden, Grace looks up and sees Aunt Helene waiting in the corner of the room, and she tells them that everyone is waiting downstairs. <laughs> And I do think it's
0: funny if, you know, Grace obviously wants to initiate the sex. She's saying stuff like, shut up and take your pants off. Yeah. <laughs> where Alex, you can tell, is trying to tell her, like, wait, no, we have to go do this thing first. But she's really like, nope, I'm married. You're my husband. I want to fuck. Let's go. But yes, Aunt Helene interrupts. There's some funny dialogue around there where it's just like, what's her problem? And Alex is like, she's got
1: boundary issues. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, she's got boundary issues. So, um... They kind of straighten themselves out. As they're on their way downstairs to the game, Alex kind of explains, it's just something that we have to do. It's more important than the wedding itself. You're just going to pick a game to play, and that's what we'll do. And then once you play the game, you're initiated into the family.
0: Right, because the Ladomus family... The reason they have their wealth is because their great-grandfather helped build an empire of board games. So gaming is very important to their wealth and their identity. And obviously, over the course of the years, they've been able to just accrue more and more and more wealth. So just like Elise said, when somebody new is initiated into the family, it's tradition that they have to play a game before dawn on the wedding night, and then that person is officially initiated.
1: So Grace and Alex make it downstairs, and we see some familiar faces once again. Everyone is there, including Becky, the mother, and the father, and Emily, the sister, who is wild and crazy and makes me laugh. So Emily and Fitch miss the wedding.
0: They're not even at the wedding, because mm-hmm. you see Becky on the phone being like, if you don't get here before midnight, I'm gonna oh, be so mad at you. Uh huh. And they finally arrive, So Emily's the sister of Alex and Daniel, and she is married to Fitch, and Fitch just seems like a dumb man. He's just like, oh, we couldn't get the private jet out of the runway (laughs) in time, and you know I can't fly commercial anymore. Uh Meanwhile, I was paying attention to the kids running around in the background because I think like Elise said, or maybe, I've seen this like two or three times, I really Mm -hmm. like this movie. But it's funny because if you pay attention to what the boys are doing, they're wearing the masks from the beginning <gasps> of the movie.
1: Oh, my God. I didn't even know that. And they're
0: running around and they're being like, Mr. LaBelle going to get you. Like, if you listen to them, you can hear what they're yelling at each other. So obviously, Grace is navigating the room, saying hi, introducing herself. And she had even said to Alex... If it gets your family to accept me, I'll play the shit out of some checkers. But she's looking at herself in the mirror and you can still tell that she just so badly wants to be accepted. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. go as far as to say she's self-conscious, but she ends up sharing with Becky that She had foster parents but was shuffled around a lot and she had told Alex how important it was to her that she had a permanent family to call her own. It's almost a little grovelly where she's like, I just don't want to mess up. I don't want to let you all down. I don't want to not be good enough. Mm -hmm. And Becky is, again, kind and reassuring Mm -hmm. as ever. It really is punching in how important it is that Grace play along with this and that Grace prove to these people that she's worthy of their wealth and their bloodline. And you can tell it isn't for the wealth that she's going in for for somebody like Charity. She really is looking for that sense of belonging. There's even hints that she rushed to the engagement because she wanted that sense mm. of belonging
1: so badly and really didn't want to let that go. Mm-hmm. So we have some funny moments in the room, in addition to these more heartfelt moments. When Emily does eventually make it, Aunt Helene goes, Brown-haired niece, you still exist. (laughs) Which made me laugh so hard. That's just Aunt Helene being Aunt Helene, I guess. At this point, they've made it into the game room, which is a room in the house that Grace has never seen before, that I guess is only used on special occasions. And there are old weapons hanging on the walls. There are taxidermy... Animal heads and figures hanging in place different places, and there's a big table in the center of the room. The dad starts telling... What's his name? Tony. Thank you. Tony starts explaining the rules of the game and a little bit of the Le Domus family history. They all
0: sit down around a round table, and the patriarch of the family, Tony, Produces this box of sorts and he starts talking about how his great grandfather met a man named Mr. LaBelle on his travels as a sea merchant and Mr. LaBelle ended up being a very generous benefactor which allowed them to build their gaming empire and accrue their wealth. Because of that, they honor Mr. LaBelle anytime they extend the family, and this is why they really have to honor his memory by playing a game, and it's something that is done every single time that a new person enters the family. He's playing it like it was just this man who helped him out one time, and it's a lot of the reason for their wealth, but you're getting a little culty vibes from the way he's talking about it the way that they're passing the box. All the family members, you can tell, aren't even looking at the box. They're just like pushing it off to the side because they've heard this story so many times before through all these marriages. It's assumed that this story has been told over and over again. But Grace is obviously feeling very interested and honored and really just wants to be a part of it. But it does get a little supernatural because the way that it works, is they put an empty playing card into this music box of sorts or this box of sorts. Yeah. I don't know that's mm-hmm. a music box, but it's kind of what it reminded me of. Is yeah, one of about those,
1: that shape and size. It's about
0: that shape and size. And then the spirit of Mr. LaBelle will choose a game that the family plays. Grace doesn't have to win the game, but she just has to play the game. And by the end of that game, she will be officially part of the Domus Empire. This is where I kind of want to talk a little bit about some of the research I found in terms of the names. So while we were watching this last night, we found what some of these names might mean. Because obviously, like, a last name like Laidoma seems a little entrenched in wealth and Mm -hmm. LaBelle. Like, Mm -hmm. what's the les? What's the lace, Mm -hmm. What's going on with, with all of this? So this is a horror movie podcast. I don't think I'm spoiling anything by saying that <laughs> Mr. LaBelle is up to no good and this family is up to no
1: good. Well, Mr. LaBelle is pretty clearly the devil.
0: LaBelle is an anagram for Belial. It's also known as like another name for the devil or a demon of sorts. I'm not sure if it's the devil itself or a demon, but I'm guessing it's Satan mm-hmm. of, of some degree. There was also something about what domus means. So I got this from an article called "The Devils and the Details" already, or not by Megan Navarro, and she writes in ancient Rome, a domus was a specific type of house inhabited by the upper class. So that fits. Centuries ago, those with the surname domus were typically laborers and farmers, which lines up with Tony's story of their ancestor who sold their family to the devil. But yeah, so anyway, domus is essentially a laborer. So it kind of talks about how that family serves the devil. Like very they are laborers for the devil.
1: This story to me is very kind of like devil and Tom Walker. I used to, a couple of years ago, I taught this in my classes. It's a story by Washington Irving, and it's based on the Faust legend. The whole idea of somebody wants something, whether it's wisdom, like in the Faust legend, or wealth, like in The Devil and Tom Walker, and they strike a deal with the devil in order to get that thing, but of course have to live the rest of their lives serving the devil. And this seems like just a modern take on that, which I think is really cool, because it really is a story that's hundreds of years old, like this idea of what do you have to do to get what you most desire?
0: No, that definitely fits. So, Grace is excited, Tony places a card in, and then she has to just push a button, and then the a- card will reproduce and it will have the name written on it. So, Grace does it, and everyone's excited to see what she has, and when she pulls it out, she pulls out hide-and-seek.
1: hmm And she laughs, because it's kind of silly. She's going to play hide-and-seek with a bunch of adults.
0: Yes, on her wedding night. Yes. In a wedding dress, but immediately the faces of everyone fall around the table like they are scared that was not a good card to pull and everyone looks at Alex because Alex knows exactly what it means Mm -hmm. and why that card is bad and the first thing Alex says is yeah that's what we play those are the rules right Mm -hmm. dad Mm -hmm. so he's asserting that he is okay with it Mm -hmm. or at least presuming that he's okay with it Daniel seems very upset, and Grace, in this very tense moment, is just like, all right, well, let's toast to Mr. LaBelle, which she Ugh. doesn't even know what she's I toasting know. to. But essentially what it is and how it's played is she is the only person that is going to hide, and everybody has to seek her, and they have to find her before dawn, otherwise she wins.
1: hmm So... Tony puts on some weird music on the record player that I guess when the music is up, it will be time to go and search for Grace. So she is sent to to go hide anywhere she wants in the house. This is another thing about the movie I like is it's very detail-oriented. She even says, well, don't you have an advantage? You have security cameras. And Tony says, no, we play this the old-fashioned way, the way my ancestors would have preferred. And he turns off the security cameras. And, of course, we see them after Grace leaves her room grab all of those old, ancient weapons on the wall. So they really do take that whole, quote-unquote, tradition aspect to heart. So, Grace, she's kind of, like, sauntering around. She takes off her shoes, to, so I guess they can't hear her clicking heels. And she goes upstairs, and eventually she finds a dumb waiter and gets inside. But, of course, you know, we're scared because we know she's not taking this seriously. And she's drunk.
0: (laughs) She's drunk with the background of this, like, very sing-songy tune about (laughs) hide-and-seek. Each family member is being handed, like, a crossbow or a musket or a bow and arrow, a rifle. And there's, like, a really awesome shot of the entire family, apart from Alex holding a weapon and just standing there waiting for the music to go up while Grace is singing to herself in this dumb waiter.
1: Time's up. Music stops. The family goes and they start looking for Grace. Everybody but Alex. Yeah, he stays in the room, which I guess is that customary, do you think? It seems like it might be customary. Or the mother just kind of says, why don't you just stay here? She has Charity stay behind and guard the door.
0: Right, because they don't want Alex interfering with the process.
1: And as we've seen before, there's a bunch of, quote, servant hallways around the house, I guess, for back in the day to avoid having quote-unquote the help being seen around the parties or around the upper class guests. They, they would have certain like hidden hallways that they could move around within to stay out of sight. We were already introduced to those before because this house is so old and Alex has already shown Grace that these exist. So we see him leave the game room through one of those hallways and we're obviously under the impression he's going to go help Grace.
0: Charity goes in, and even when Charity enters to check in on Alex, she's very... She's
1: flirtatious.
0: Oh, you thought flirtatious? I thought she was being, like, taunting. Oh, maybe. It could be a little bit of both.
1: It could be. She enters, and
0: she's like, Alex, darling, would you like some company? (laughs) So, like, it is flirty, (laughs) but at the same time, it's malicious. Like, the flirtation
1: is supposed to be what's taunting him or, like really rubbing salt in the wound.
0: Yes. And also while this family was guarding themselves, we do see that the two young sons of Emily are being put to bed by one of the help. So there's like three maids and one butler that we've seen that are kind of circulating throughout the evening. That, and they were being put to bed while all this was happening. But you get a shot that sees that the maid had fallen asleep while reading them a story. And one of the boys is
1: out of bed and cycling throughout the house. So now there's a bunch of things going on. Yes. One, Georgie, one of the boys, is about the house and the maid needs to find him because there is a very adult game going on. (laughs) Two, Alex has escaped through the back hallways and is looking for Grace. Three, Grace is hiding in a dumbwaiter. Four, the family is trying to kill Grace.
0: It's revealed later that not every game is violent. This is the only game of the wedding night games that necessitates the bride being killed before dawn, but that is revealed a little bit later.
1: There are a little, like, hints throughout the movie, like, with the flashback and some of the chatter that's happening in the game room before Grace pulls her card. We put together the pieces, for sure.
0: So, Grace exits the dumbwaiter. She's kind of like, fuck this. Yeah. I'm bored. Sucks. Yeah. So she exits and she hears the maid looking for Georgie. So she's like hiding behind a wall and like peeking at her and then a hand reaches out and grabs her, drags her into a room and it's Alex and Alex is being very severe with her. He's like, we need to grab our stuff. We need to go. We need to go right now. And she's like, why? What's going on? We're just playing a game. We're just playing a game. All of a sudden, the maid starts entering the room. They're hiding behind a bed. And while the maid is looking for Georgie, she is shot in the fucking face.
1: And miraculously, Grace stays quiet, just kind of like stunned into silence. And Alex is keeping her behind the bed, like trying to keep her calm. And the rest of the family comes in. And it turns out that Emily, well, Emily starts screaming, I got her, I got her, I got her. And then like they come in. And I think it's David who says... Does she look like she's wearing a white wedding dress? Like, this isn't her at all. And of course, the family kind of has this awkward moment where they're like, oh, like, she was one of my favorites. Like, this sucks. Emily, like, you killed the wrong person.
0: Yes. And so begins the comedic (laughs) arc that is Emily being the most unhinged character in this entire movie. She's the only one I didn't mention. Emily is played by Melanie Scrofano. So it's an go- ongoing theme of Emily being unstable and not being able to handle yeah. any of her weaponry. She- yes, yeah,
1: she forgets her gun. She we see her doing copious amounts of cocaine. Oh yes, lots of cocaine, lots of pills. Yes, she's on so many things. So Daniel's like, "All right, kid, let's go
0: walk it off." Like she like bumped a knee and not just shot a maid through the fucking face. It's <laughs> it's very funny. While they're trying to get the body out there, it is revealed through Aunt Helene being like, she needs to be alive for the ritual and we need to get her before dawn. You're only supposed to maim her. You're not supposed to kill her. So after, obviously, overhearing all of this, Grace turns to Alex and is like, what the fuck? And this is really interesting. Alex is like, listen, it's a tradition. I didn't think this was going to happen. You pulled the one bad card. And I thought that had a lot of different layers to it Mm. because... I wrote, like, that's life at Grace. Like, she just was dealt all the bad cards Mm. in life. She was a foster kid. She doesn't have parents. She Mm -hmm. doesn't have a family. But all of a sudden, this thing that she has no control over is being pitted on her, where it's like, you chose the bad card. Mm -hmm. And Grace is very quick to, like, challenge that. She's like, you're the one who knew what could happen. And that's where he goes to explain listen, if we didn't play the game, we both would die. If we were to go get married somewhere else, we both would have died the next day. It happened to my uncle. It happened to my cousin. It happened to this. This was the only way that both of us could stay alive and that we could be together. And she's still like, you're the one who brought me here. And he's like, well, you wanted to get married. And she's like, oh, and that's my fault for wanting right. to be married. If she's like, you could have told me. And then he's like, well, you would have left. So you're starting to get this arc with Alex. His primary motivation is just keeping Grace and not keeping Grace alive.
1: (laughs) That is such a good point. Just like trying to kind of skirt under the very inevitable truth that this is a reality for this family.
0: And a lot of this exchange is what I like about Grace as a character is she is challenging him. She's like, Mm -hmm. she's pretty much saying like, you didn't tell me this was even a possibility. You took my choice away. Mm -hmm. But Alex like talks his way out of it. He concocts a plan. At this point, they're in the servant's corridor, Mm -hmm. and he's like, listen you have to go to the kitchen door, which is at the side of the building. None of my family will be there. I'm going to go to the control room and I have to go unlock all the doors because along with turning the cameras off, they locked all the windows and doors from the outside. So there's no way that she could get out, but he is going to go to the control room, disarm all of the alarms so that she can escape outside and at least go hide in the woods and they can go meet
1: up later so he goes to do that she goes down the corridor she was able to grab her yellow converse from the bedroom before entering the corridor so she now has shoes on and as she's walking we have this moment where she looks down and realizes like i'm not going to get anywhere in this fucking dress so she rips um, a good portion of the bottom off so she can run and, and move more freely and she gets to the end of the servant's corridor and there are two doors she forgets which one is the right door She chooses the wrong door, and she ends up back out in the hallway right where we see, I think, Tony and Aunt Helene. It's Tony, Aunt Helene, Daniel, and Emily. Dealing with the body of the maid that was just killed. They start trying to shoot her. She's running away. First of all, there's a lot of comedy during this shootout because, again,
0: it's Emily shooting wildly. (laughs) And the way that this is set up is... Emily is at one end of the hallway. Aunt Helene, Daniel and Tony in the body are at the other end of the hallway. Grace comes out in the middle of them. Mm-hmm. So Grace is too busy looking at them and then gunfire rings out behind them and they all drop to the floor and Grace ends up running back and through another door. And meanwhile, all of Emily's family are like on the floor with their heads over their heads and Tony's like, Emily, shoot for the center of gravity. <laughs> don't what are you doing and she's just like i don't know what i'm doing like she, she is a mess she's a mess and she's unhinged and, and it's, she
1: has the most i think like one of the most lethal weapons yeah like
0: they gave her a handgun whereas it's funny because this is being intercut with her husband fitch who is hiding in a bathroom and looking up <laughs> youtube tutorials on how to use his ancient crossbow <laughs> and there's just a lot of comedy there grace runs into a different den of sorts again this is a mansion so there's like rooms for fucking everything and she's like pressed up against the wall that she came through the door in and she's looking at the door she entered but right next to her on the other side there's another door and daniel just like walks in and looks like right at her Mm. but yeah they have a moment
1: yeah grace is like daniel you don't want to do this just like let me go we can see because we've been seeing this from the beginning, especially because he was the little boy in the beginning. We saw kind of rat out whoever that man was at that wedding. What would have
0: been his uncle, I guess. Yeah,
1: decades ago. So it is kind of a moment of like, will he do it again? But we also know that he's battling with alcohol abuse now and he seems he really has issues with his family. It doesn't seem like he's completely bought into what's going on. And he ends up saying, I'll give you a 10 second head start. And he starts counting and he counts for like longer than 10 seconds. Yeah,
0: he's like one, one and a half, all of this. (laughs) This is where Grace ends up making her way to this kitchen area. But while she's doing that, he calls attention to the parlor that he's in. Charity runs in. And Charity is like gung-ho for all of this. Like she is in it to win it. And... Daniel's like, oh, she must have slipped away. You Mm -hmm. know, like being like, whatever, showing that he doesn't give a shit. And he's like, well, yeah, you couldn't wait to sell your soul away. Mm. And this is where you learn. She's like, I'd rather be dead than lose all of this and go back to where I was. So you're getting hints that Becky... And Charity and Grace all have like similar backgrounds where they seem to have been quote unquote saved from poverty because of their marriage into this family. But it came with this sacrifice that they kind of had to sell their soul to the devil, literally. Mm -hmm. And Daniel hates himself for it. But Charity, it's like so proud of it. And it's like the best thing that she's ever done.
1: At this point, the rest of the family catches up with Charity and Daniel in whatever room that they're in. And Emily's playing with another gun. She is. She is trying to make this gun work. And Oh, it's a crossbow. It's Fitch's crossbow. Oh, it is. How could we ever forget? Yeah. Another maid runs in. Like, I just saw her, blah, blah, blah. And before she can even get her full sentence out, she is shot through the mouth with a crossbow. And Emily is screaming again, why does this always happen to me? Yeah, why does this always happen to me? She's saying to me. I know. She, even though she just killed two people, she's like, oh, like, what was me? Like, my luck. I'm
0: like, what the hell? But then where it's like, it's just funny at this point, because I mean, obviously, the addictions in this family aren't funny. But the way that especially Emily's is being treated is for comedic relief where Fitch is like, okay, honey, let's get you an edible and even you out. Yeah. Like walks her out of the room and aunt helene goes on a rampage and is like we need to get the bride we need to get her and while she's trying to get out this like vengeful speech because again i don't know if we made this clear aunt helene was the bride in the
1: beginning i think this is where it becomes clear
0: it was her husband that was murdered the night of their wedding in the flashback where we see daniel rat what would have been his uncle out to the rest mm-hmm. of the family. So Helene, more than anybody, knows exactly what Alex is going through. Mm-hmm. But she seems the most vengeful. Her and Charity are competing for, like, the most gung-ho about getting this shit done, where she's like, we must kill the girl. And there's some comedy where, like, the maid is, like, not quite dying
1: yet. Oh, yeah. What did you call it? Death rattles? She's like, yeah,
0: I think it's th- that's what it's called. Where It's like, like the body like, makes noises. The body's, like, making noises and she keeps getting interrupted by like this <laughs> gurgling of the blood Ugh. and like the sounds of this girl dying and she just takes this fucking battle axe and off camera she just fucking kills this maid and finishes her speech and again this isn't funny but the way that this is being played for a dramatic effect is funny
1: right like the timing i think is really what plays into a lot of the humor there's a lot of really good timing with events that happen and also dialogue
0: so this is where a lot of things are happening at once again.
1: Yeah, we're still looking for Georgie. Yes. um, We don't know where he is. Grace. So before she makes it to the kitchen area, I guess uh, she makes it back to the game room. She pulls a big rifle from off the wall. You know, an iconic like sash of bullets. What is it really called? Do you know? A sash of bullets? I know it is a sash <laughs> of bullets.
0: A, ma- a magazine. It, no a magazine's like the clip it's, oh okay it's, it's, <laughs> a sash
1: of bullets
0: like th- yes think about your homecoming queen sash
1: but like it's bullets but it's bullets <laughs> like and I believe like, that's a pretty all- gold bullet. yeah it's
0: like <laughs> it's like Rambo style where she's carrying this like huge musket and this is great grandfather's gun so this has a lot of like obviously sentimental value and I believe this is a lot of the I keep wanting to say album art like the movie art oh yes is mm-hmm. Smara weaving holding this gun and w- in a wedding dress but then having these like sheaths of bullets mm-hmm. like over her shoulder. yellow shoulder oh yeah so she grabs the gun and yes then she heads to the kitchen to try to escape but Alex has not opened the doors yet
1: mm-hmm. so she's just kind of biding her time when the butler comes in and he is whistling 1812 by
0: chef <laughs> <laughs> you were like ready to spit <laughs>
1: That was not good by (laughs) Tchaikovsky. So 1812 by Tchaikovsky. I'm pretty sure the song that's played in *Inglorious Bastards when the theater blows up, or I feel like it's like the song that plays in every movie when there's like an explosion that's supposed to be like glorious. It's the song that's like da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Oh, yeah. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Oh, is it the one that plays in V for Vendetta? When Parliament blows up, maybe it's both. I don't know. But the point is, he's whistling that, you know, as he's moving about the kitchen, I suppose he's making a cup of tea. Grace is trying to load her gun, but every time she, like, moves to try to load it, something clicks as she's trying to put a bullet in. The butler hears, and he tries to look for her a couple times, but he never seems alarmed. And later, finally, she gets up. She tries to make it for the door, and tries to fire at him to get out of the way because this is when Alex has finally unlocked everything. We can kind of see the lighting change and that we hear the latch undo itself and he doesn't get out of the way. She fires, but nothing comes out of the gun. And he's like, those bullets are for decoration only.
0: A note about the bullets too is we had some funny conversations about- Oh yeah. (laughs) Holy shit. Yeah. These are like the biggest bullets. They're so big. Where- was it you who was like, that looks like a tampon? And then, no,
1: I said it looks like a dick. It looks like the average size of a penis. Oh, you're about to be controversial now when you're saying fucking
0: average. <laughs> I have no intimate knowledge of what average is.
1: I guess maybe it was a little bit smaller than. <laughs> I think Shay was the one that said it looks like a tampon.
0: It just looks so big. Uh, I said it looks like a tampon. And also, all of us were just like, oh my God. (laughs) It's just like, but these bullets are huge. They're
1: so big.
0: We were kind of joking. It was just like, of course, she has the weapon with the biggest big dick energy where everyone Mm. else has these like teeny tiny skinny arrows and like these baby baby short muskets. And Uh. she's got this like long, (laughs) you know, like
1: dominant gun, but of course, it doesn't go off. Right. So then there is a scuffle between the butler and Grace and she ends up grabbing the now hot tea kettle from the stove and whacking him upside the face with it. So he's covered in boiling water on top of being hit with a kettle and she makes her escape. So Grace hits him with the water and then retreats
0: somewhere into the house. We don't necessarily see where she is. But what we do see is Alex in the control room and he had locked it. And now he has disabled the locks, so now all of the windows and doors are unlocked in the room. His father and brother are trying really hard to get into the control room. They realize that Alex has been in there, so Alex takes a fire extinguisher and destroys the entire security system.
1: And there had been a previous conversation with Tony and some of the other members of the family where they were deciding whether or not they should go turn on the security cameras anyway, because, you know, the night was turning into a disaster. Two maids down. What are they going to do? They have to get this girl. It's like really taking longer than usual to get her and perform the ceremony, which I thought was interesting, like this whole dialogue of picking and choosing traditions. Like at first there was this whole like, nope, this is how we do it. This is how we do it. And then all of a sudden when, you know, the favor turns or events aren't playing according to plan. We have this picking and choosing. What's going to happen? Well, what can we get away with? I loved that because we see that so much.
0: I think it's a fun play on religion knowing that this family worships the devil. Yeah, that's so true. Because it's funny because all of a sudden they're having this conversation. So, this is shortly after they killed the second maid, and the family is using all of these like old weaponry. But then someone's like, well, what about the masks? And he's like, oh, well, that was dad's idea. It was the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> but exactly. Then it was like, oh, but why shouldn't we use the cameras? It's not great. Grandfather's fault that cameras weren't a thing back then. Like, mm-hmm. would he want us to use all the weapons of our disposal? And that's when Aunt Helene's like, pick and choose, pick and choose. All you do is pick and choose. But I think that speaks to people who exhibit blind faith in their religion. where Or blind faith in their family yeah precisely that because a lot of the time like even if you're looking at religion if you follow things to the t like a lot of the things that are in religious texts like they weren't written about right now they were (laughs) written about forever ago. same way that the second amendment wasn't written with fucking machine guns in mind it was written about muskets in mind but again you kind of see this family having to like adapt they want to turn the cameras on but alex at this point has destroyed the entire surveillance system Before that, you see Daniel again continue to falter with his beliefs in this because Alex gets the upper hand on Tony, the dad, and almost strangles him to death.
1: Oh, that's right. Oh, that was intense. He almost kills him. Some patricide.
0: Exactly. He wants to kill him, and Daniel almost lets him. Mm -hmm. And it's Alex who decides at the end, like, he lets him go. Daniel doesn't even stop him. Daniel's like, listen, we'll get her out. Don't worry about it. Almost being like he's going to be on his side. And then Tony regains consciousness and is the one that knocks out Alex. But right. even Tony's like, whose side are you
1: on? Mm-hmm. And, but
0: Daniel's like, I got him to stop, didn't I? So he's playing a little bit of both sides of we, that loyalty. It's but also so good
1: because we do not know. We do not know. It's like we think we see goodness, but then he doesn't flinch when his dad knocks his brother unconscious. It's like so twisted. At this point, Grace is still in the house. She's trying to get out of the house, but it is proving to be an issue. And she sees another dumb waiter, and she goes to get in it. But when she opens it up, somebody's already in there, and it's another maid. She is like, "What's going on?" We could tell that she's hiding out because she's scared, because she's probably hearing all this violence. Maybe found out about some of her coworkers who have already died. She has a line
0: where she's like, "I'm not even a maid. Tony just likes the way I dance." Mm-hmm. And it's like this young, not white girl.
1: Well, we find out her name is Dora, which implies that she's Latina, Mm -hmm. which I think is interesting because part of the comedy that comes from this movie, but part of the realness that comes from this movie is the way that it plays on specific stereotypes of the wealthy, which is A, everybody in this movie is white, except for Dora. And, you know, she is working for them, like she is kind of like fulfilling this sort of archetypal Latina as the maid stereotype and
0: sexualized because that line true.
1: Di- that line didn't even have to be there of like he just likes the way
0: I dance uh-huh. this girl has two lines in this movie and one of them has to be about how the patriarch sexualizes her and that's the only reason that she's working for them
1: doesn't that just take you back to the class we had together that's in college
0: exactly what I was thinking about
1: one of our favorite classes we ever took together was Latina sexuality in the media And I feel like we're still thinking about some of the stuff we learned in this movie. Precisely that.
0: Well, Grace wants to help her. Grace is like, okay, we're going to find our way out of here. But I don't know if this girl knows the rule of the game or she just wants her
1: job preserved. But she starts ratting on Grace. Oh, she tries to get Dora to switch with her. She's like, switch with me. Like, they're not looking for you. And that's when she's like,
0: she's over here. Right. And what ends up happening by a freak accident is Grace hits the button and the doors crush Dora's head and she yeah. doesn't get decapitated, but she, her head gets crushed. crushed.
1: I guess dumbwaiters at that time didn't have safety mechanisms. No, they're not
0: like elevators.
1: No, no, no. Pre-elevator.
0: This is the third instance really where, well, with the butler too, you can tell the butler's invested because when she holds the butler up by gunpoint, if I'm working for somebody and... They're holding a gun to me. I'm like, take the money. I don't care. Like, like, (laughs) just do what you got to do. I'm like, I'm not dying for you. But it is evident that all of these members of the help are going to put their lives on the line to preserve their employment with this family. And it really just draws back to this larger theme of Once achieving a level of privilege, even among the other in-laws in the family, among Charity, among Fitch, we don't really get clarification if Fitch came from humble beginnings, but he has this line of, I don't fly commercial anymore, Oh, where uh if... He would never have if he was rich to begin with, mm-hmm. where all of these people are so afraid of losing the capital that they are so quick to not be sympathetic to somebody they see currently in mm-hmm. their position because all they're seeing Grace as, as the poor wife. Right. Right. And I just thought it was so interesting. All of these people are aiding and Mm -hmm. abetting in all of these things. And even later, you see that the butler plays an instrumental role maintaining that the night go off the way that it should. And it's not by any accomplishment of the rich or the people that are supposed to be doing things to earn that wealth. It's the help that are really making it possible. So Mm. I just thought that was really interesting.
1: And also at this point, the people working in the household are the ones that have dealt with the brunt of the violence so far.
0: Exactly. So this is where we find out that Alex has been tied to the bedpost. Tony and Becky and Aunt Helene are talking to him or Alex is still knocked out at this point, but they're talking about him in front of him. And this is where Aunt Helene unveils, where it's like, Alex is meant to run this family. Alex and I have always been the closest. He was meant to follow in my footsteps and have his spouse be sacrificed for Mr. LaBelle. And he has seen Mr. LaBelle in his chair when he was a child. He is meant to take over this family. He's simply afraid of who he is. There's still time for him to come around and realize Obviously, Tony isn't buying into it as much. Tony's like, yeah, okay. He saw a ghost in a chair when he was five. You might have been daydreaming, Mm -hmm. whatever. But Aunt Helene is like the most fanatical Mm -hmm. and the most committed to this, seems very confident that Alex is going to end up doing the right thing, quote unquote, in the end. The right thing in her definition being that he's going to remember who he is and remain true to his family. And we come to find out that Grace is sitting on the roof next to the open window and is hearing all of this.
1: Yeah, she has made it out of the house and heard what went down and then has to decide how she's going to make it off of the roof and down to the ground so she can run away. So we cut to a scene where we're watching Fitch kind of dealing with his crossbow again. Yeah. He's just like doing what Fitch does. He's on his phone playing with his crossbow trying to figure shit out. And all of a sudden we see this like white ball just like fall to the ground through the window looking out. Fitch turns around and looks doesn't really think anything of it and then goes back to whatever he's doing. He has this funny sort of disinterested personality that certainly serves as comedic relief many times.
0: Once she hits the ground, I think it's funny, she ends up running reverse back down the aisle of where she had the wedding because Mm. the way that it's set up is they got married on the top of these stairs. So she ends up running back down the stairs and you even see her turn around and kind of like realize that just hours before this is where she had this holy matrimony and she has to run reverse like back down the aisle to get the fuck out of this situation. And yeah, she ends up taking refuge in a barn on the property and she's looking for a place to hide with all of these goats which <clears throat>
1: <Death> Devil
0: <laughs> Black Philip is hanging out in that barn mm-hmm. speaking to the children mm-hmm. so she's in this goat barn and she sees Georgie.
1: Yes. And we have a scene very similar to that flashback that starts the movie where she sees the presence of a child. She's like, Georgie, oh my gosh, help me, help me, help me. And Georgie, as Grace has her hands outreached towards him for help, shoots her through the palm of her left hand. And we're left with this icky image of, yes, a clean hole, a clean, bloody hole right through Grace's hand. So she punches him across the face. With her better hand. <laughs> yes, with her good hand and knocks him out. So he's out cold. She's trying to figure out what the hell to do right when a goat stirs about and seems as though it might come at her. It scares her. And she falls backwards through this door, like a door in the floor. It looks like a cellar
0: door yes. entrance yeah. of sorts. It's sort
1: of like raised a bit off of the of the barn floor. But yes, that's a perfect visual. She falls backwards and finds herself in a pit. Full of skeletons. Yes.
0: Bloody goat bodies. And there's a bunch of flies, a lot of carnage. And then she turns and looks to her left once she gets her bearings. And she sees the skeleton of the husband, of Helene's husband with the two arrows in his chest. And these are where all of the bodies go to rot that they kill throughout the years. So she's obviously very distraught. She turns back around and there is a ladder that leads her out of this. So she's trying to climb the ladder. She makes it most of the way up, but the weight becomes too much for the ladder and the bottom half breaks off. So she's holding on to the edge of this entrance with both of her
1: hands. I am, as I'm listening to Shay retell this, I am like my eyes are closed. I am just like bracing for the i can't this is so icky okay keep going let's go let's
0: yes go. <laughs> and so we know that she has a hole in her left hand and as she's climbing up the camera is zooming in on this nail that is poking out of the cellar door entrance and you know exactly what's about to happen when yeah. she is climbing her way up she is about to fall about to fall she's holding on by one hand and she brings her injured hand up to help anchor herself, and she sticks her hand through the nail. And oh, she God. is in a lot, a lot of pain. But it serves as the anchor. Yeah, it actually helps her get out of there. It, she needs to pull up, and she, yeah, it's it's a good moment of oh, horror. for It sure. is.
1: It's pretty awful, but I guess it's it's good that the. You know, it's not like the nail impaled her. There was already like a huge hole in her hand, right? So, but
0: then I think it was you who were just like, "Oh, it's a hand job." <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, that was not what I was thinking about. But. I was
1: just being stupid. But yeah, 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 yeah. But the hand job of death. <laughs> um, but yeah, so she she, she gets herself out of there. She pulls off uh, one of her lacy wedding dress sleeves to sort of tie the wound and she makes a break across the lawn to try to continue her escape. She's got to get out of there. And we see Charity on one of the back decks. She's smoking a cigarette. She sees Grace running through the lawn. So she goes back and alerts the rest of the family. Well, after trying to shoot her, which is actually funny because she has a bow and arrow of sorts. And when she tries to shoot it, it looks like a child's toy, just sort of like boinking off of into the night so she doesn't even get close the arrow doesn't even go nearly far enough so then she has to go back in and get the others
0: like Elise said she is tearing her dress left right and center and obviously throughout the night she is going from this very white dress is now red it is missing four inches or so off the bottom. She's wearing Converse. She is missing a sleeve and her dress is further torn when she reaches, it's like a gridiron fence of sorts. It's got kind of like the jail bar slats. She ends up pulling one of them loose and she drags her body in Mm. between two of them and the friction takes some skin off of her back and rips her dress She's literally
1: like impaled slightly. (laughs) She
0: tries to flag down a car that's driving by and they're just like you know the fucking road and she lets off this string of curse words and it's like fucking rich people (laughs) and she's like letting out every guttural scream and curse that she can like she is just so fucking done and frustrated
1: Earlier, I mentioned that there's one part of the movie that frustrates me, and that's the part of the movie that frustrates me Mm. when the people don't pull over. And it's not because it doesn't serve the plot. It certainly serves the plot, but it's just so frustrating. I mean, but
0: also think about the true crime side of your brain where you see, like, this bloody, braving individual on the side of the road in the middle of the night. Like, are
1: you stopping? I don't know. Well... I would like to think that I would. I mean, she's yelling for help. Clearly shit's fucked. So she goes running off into the
0: woods. And this is where we're taken back to the family a little bit. You get a good scene of Daniel and Emily. They are tossing out the bodies of the maids in the goat barn. It was their job to dispose of the bodies. And there's some conversation between the two of them about the situation that they're in. And Emily was like, well, you were alive for the first time this happened. Like, is this for real? Do we have anything to be afraid of? Like, how is Alex throughout all of this? And Daniel's like, well, I hid Alex away from any of it, so I don't know if he remembers any of it, but I remember all of it. I never forgot any of it. So again, you're seeing that this is really haunting him and he really regrets the decision that he made to really go along with all of this. This is where they find Georgie, who has been knocked out. He's now got like a black eye. And Georgie reveals, like, I saw the lady in here and I shot her, but she got away. And Emily's like, I'm so proud of you, honey. Mm -hmm. And Daniel, like, looks at her and is like, fuck, like, I'm really the only one that It's questioning or I'm really the only one that is with Alex on this one and just wants to get the fuck out. Because again, Alex wasn't aiding and abetting to this. Like he left the family because he didn't want to be a part of this whole situation. He was only brought back, which I believe he blames on Grace's insistence because she wanted to be married so bad. And Mm. that's, I think, the logic that we're being presented with. But Daniel definitely is complicit, but hates every second of it.
1: So while the siblings deal with the bodies in the goat barn, the butler has taken it upon himself to drive out to where Grace was headed and get her and bring her back. So then we have a bunch of scenes where the butler rolls up, tries to run over Grace, she jumps out of the way, he stops, the car gets out. They have this whole fight scene where she strangles him or tries to strangle him. In a really interesting scene, we I feel like we don't really see women strangle men as often as we see men strangling people in general. And she is using part of
0: her dress. She, she te- is. She tears off another part of her dress. Well, he's choking her and then she ends up clawing him in the face where she burnt him earlier. Mm-hmm. But then she ends up getting behind him and it kind of like has her foot on his back and is choking him with the fabric of the dress. To the point where he is at least knocked out and then runs to his car that is running and her idea is just get the fuck away from here.
1: And she calls the roadside assistance hotline in the car and she's telling them, oh, my gosh, please help me. Please send the police. The person on the other line is really calm and collected and then says, oh, wait, this car was reported as stolen. We have to stop the vehicle. And of course, we have another Grace swearing fit. So then she's left again as a sitting duck in this car when she could have gotten away. The call is really
0: funny because it literally is the transcript of any customer service call you've ever had (laughs) where it's like, oh, my name is Justin. What can I do for you today? I'm being hunted and killed, Justin. Can you help me with that? And yeah, like... Elise said, Grace is a bit of a sitting duck, and the butler ends up opening the door, finding her, and tranquilizing her.
1: When Grace comes to, she's in the back of the butler's car, and the butler is FaceTiming the rest of the family who is still at the house as he drives her back. And he's telling them, hey, like, I got her. You can tell he's feeling really good. Good. Being the one to get her, bring her back to the house. And he is listening to Tchaikovsky's 1812. After he kind of reports to the family what's going on, he turns up the music. But we see that Grace has started to come to, as mentioned, and she moves slowly. And the family sees her too. Cause he's still FaceTiming. They're trying to let him know that this is going on, but his music is so loud. His pride is so overwhelming that he doesn't even see as she kicks him across the face with her bound legs. And, of course, he swerves off the road, and they tumble into the woods. And now Grace has her her arms bound, her feet bound, and she has to get out of this car. I don't know if the butler is dead or if he's just unconscious.
0: We don't really see him again, do we? I don't
1: think we do. But she's okay. She was in the back, and she gets out of the car.
0: She finds her way out of the car, but she runs right into Daniel with a gun. And, again, she tries to be like, listen, you're a good guy. Alex loves you so much. He would never forgive you if you killed me, really laying it on thick. But essentially, he just says, Listen, I'm weak. Alex got out. I never did. It's too late for me and like knocks her out. Meanwhile, Alex has woken up and has been trying to work his way through the banister with the metal of the handcuffs. And then his mom comes in. So he stops. Him and the mom have a conversation where he's like, if you hurt her, I will kill you. And she's like, well, then I'm dead either way, aren't I? And, you know, you could tell that he's really trying to play on her sympathies, but she's unbudging with this and really is under the impression that this needs to happen. Otherwise, they all will die. She's like, I have to protect my family. This is me protecting my family. But then she's really trying to be like, well, why did you leave? Why did you leave us? And he's like, I don't know, mom, something about slicing the throats of goats and chanting to Satan just didn't seem so normal to me. But it scared me how normal it did seem. And Mm. I knew I needed to get away from you. He says, you'll do pretty much anything if your family says it's okay. Mm -hmm. And I thought that line was pretty powerful. This is where he pretty much tries to underline like, no, fuck you. What you're doing is wrong. He says, if it comes down to you or her, I'm choosing her. And she says, you don't believe that. And I don't believe a girl that has known you for a year and a half knows you better than I do Mm. and walks away. (sighs) And you could tell that plants some seeds of doubt in his head. But nonetheless, he is continuing to try to break free from the banister. Mm -hmm. But then the perspective is switched back to Grace, who is waking up from her little knockout slumber.
1: And she is tied to a pentagram on the table. Yeah, the rest of the family without Alex, obviously, is standing around her. We can tell that some sort of ritual is going to take place. They're wearing
0: robes. They're Mm -hmm. chanting.
1: Mm -hmm. And I remember what happens the second time. Spoiler. (laughs) But what? I forget how she gets out of this one. So
0: essentially what's happening is... Tony is speaking in tongues. He yeah. has this dagger. But while this is happening, they are passing around like this chalice in which they're all drinking from. We don't know if it's blood. Oh, that's right. We don't know if it's blood. We don't know if it's goat's wine. blood. I, it could be goat's blood. I, we kind of get the impression that's what it is because Fitch takes a sip and is like, oh, like, yeah. like gagging a little bit. But they're all wearing the robes and they're all passing it around. And then... Tony lifts up the dagger and is about to stab Grace in the heart. But then he spits up blood and all of them start spitting up blood. And again, we don't know if it's their blood or if it's like the blood that they just. That's probably what it is. Consumed. But they're all getting sick. And Daniel starts untying Grace. Uh And she's just like, what did you do? he drugged them essentially yeah and she's like you killed them for me and he's like no they'll shit weird for a week but that's about it i looked it up (laughs) yeah so it was it was that so he's trying to get her out of there but one he tries to rush her to the door charity shows Mm. up Mm -hmm. and charity holds daniel up and she's like, you're really going to do this. You, you're really going to ruin this for me. I'm not going to let you ruin this for me. And she shoots Daniel in the neck. Mm-hmm. And he he bleeds out and dies shortly afterwards. But then Grace, is this is where she goes into feral final girl mode. Yeah. Because she knocks Charity out with her own gun or something. I don't mm-hmm. know what happens, but they scuffle. But she ends up knocking Charity out. At this point, Alex has escaped and has found the scene, but finds Daniel bleeding out, but he does die. Tony runs into Grace, and he's saying something like, you really think that we give a shit about you? You're just another goat for uh, us to sacrifice.
1: Uh-huh. And I forget how
0: she in- incapacitates him with a lantern,
1: maybe? because Yeah, because then after that, we start to see that the house starts to catch on fire. Yes, she knocks him out with a la- Again, she is just taking out Lady Le Domas' yeah. left and right. It's, it's honestly, it's really hard to keep it straight. Like, not in a bad way. Not in a bad way. Like, at this point, like, I had long ago in my viewing experience stopped taking notes because I was so entranced with what was going on. I just was like, I can't, I can't do both. I can't do both. I, I have to watch. And it, I've only seen this once and I would really like to see it again. I have a couple people that I have already recommended this to and that I want to watch it with. But anyway, yeah. So she somehow incapacitates the father. I think it's with the lantern, but I, I don't want to be wrong. But eventually a lantern does fall to the floor and start to catch the room on fire. And then this is where there's a showdown between Becky, the mom,
0: and Grace. Oh, shit. Becky goes off where it's just like, I'm not going to kill my family for you. And she says to Grace, you don't deserve a family. And Oof. Becky starts choking Grace out, throws her on the floor, is choking her, is choking her. And then Grace is able to pull the table runner mm-hmm. and that gets the music box or the the card box mm-hmm. in her possession. And she's able to whack Becky over the head. And then at this point, Grace is like, fuck your family and kills her with the music box by just smashing her skull over and over and over again.
1: I feel like Becky was like, grace's biggest disappointment
0: yeah becky broke her heart the most at, well, i think so. aside from what's about to happen
1: they had like these beautiful moments becky was the one that was on grace's side not to say that alex wasn't but it seemed like becky was really gonna be the family member that grace got to gain through this marriage and the mom the parent yeah. that she never had mm-hmm. and i think that explains like the the anger like beating her like that's so intimate but alex walks in and watches grace
0: kill his mom And I don't know if it's clear if he thinks that she also killed Daniel, because Charity's still knocked out at this point.
1: Oh, that's a good point.
0: He might. He might think that she... Because why would he think Charity killed him? Exactly. Oh, shit. So you have that context in mind. And, you know, he comes toward her and, like, reaches out to caress her face, and she steps away... And Mm -hmm. he guilts her and he's just like, you won't be with me after this, will you? Mm -hmm. And again, it is so selfish. It is so about him and Mm -hmm. his possession of her. And again, she's shell-shocked. Like, she's just killed somebody. And he grabs her face and cups her face with both hands. But you can tell, like, he's squeezing her. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you're hurting me. You're hurting me. And this is the biggest heel turn of the
1: movie. But we
0: all kind of saw it coming.
1: Yeah. I only saw it coming very, very shortly before it it came. But basically, after we have a couple lines, you're hurting me, he yells, still looking at her square in the face. She's in here.
0: And then puts her in like a Uh chokehold and holds her still as she's screaming and writhing. And his family floods in and they all discover that she has killed the mom. And I didn't appreciate how like... As soon as everyone sees the mom, everything kind of stops for a second. Like, Tony's facade drops, Helene's Mm -hmm. facade drops. It's almost like once the matriarch of the family has fallen, like, Mm -hmm. everyone kind of has to, like, stop and recognize Mm -hmm. it. But, yes, Alex indeed chose his family over Grace and sold her out. She wakes up again, and she's tied to a table. It's very close to dawn at this point, which is their deadline. And he's speaking in the tongues. He took over his father's role. Uh-huh. So you could tell that Helene was right. He is assuming, like, patriarchal role of the family. He will be, like, the new leader. They start yelling, Hail Satan, Hail Satan. Uh-huh. And he goes to bring the dagger down, but she digs her nails into, like, a wound in the father's hand. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And that allows her to only get the dagger in her shoulder and not her chest. Yes. And then causes confusion. And then she pulls the dagger out of her shoulder and is like ferally screaming (laughs) and like waving the dagger
1: around and like being like, no, 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 you're Mm -hmm. not getting me. You're not getting me. And that's when Helene notices that dawn has come and the sun is rising and they did not complete their task in a timely manner. So she has her very (laughs) dramatic dialogue where she's like, we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. Um, She flings open the curtains. Yes, it's so wild. And everybody sort of waits because this is when they're supposed to die. But nothing happens. Yeah, one by
0: one, you see like everyone has like braced themselves. Fitch opens one eye and Emily opens one eye and the dad like comes up from under the table. And Fitch, I think is like, so it was bullshit. (laughs) And everyone's just like, oh, my God. And then they're all looking at Grace and Grace is looking at them like, no shit, you crazies. Uh Like, I knew this was fake, whatever. Well, Fitch is like, well, what are we going to do about her? Mm -hmm,
1: Yeah, she knows a lot now. She knows
0: too much now. And then Helene, like, picks up her battle axe and is
1: like, the girl still dies. But then as she runs towards her... She fucking explodes. (laughs) Like explode, explodes. Bloody bomb, explodes. And Grace is kind of stunned at first. Everyone's face drops because, well, it's happening. And then in succession, you start
0: to see Fitch explodes, Mm -hmm. and then Emily and her sons run out of the room, and they explode. Off-camera, though,
1: which is in deference of the children. Yes, the children
0: (laughs) children explode off-camera. Charity's like, no, I lost it all, and she explodes, the father explodes, to where it's only left with Alex and Grace now. And Grace is laughing while all of this is happening. she
1: has burst out in... The laughter of disbelief. Like it's as she's becoming continuously spattered with blood of different people. And this is where we have Alex start to grovel.
0: He's like, baby, you know, I didn't mean it. I'm not like them. I'm not like them. Really just trying to backtrack. And he's just like, well, he hasn't killed me yet. That must mean something. We're supposed to continue the family on together. And she's like backing up and she's like, uh uh-uh. uh. And he's like, I don't want to die. And she said, neither did I, you selfish fuck. Mm -hmm. Which again is proving that he knew this was an option all along Mm -hmm. and refused to give her her choice. Mm -hmm. There's this final scene where she takes off her ring very meaningfully and is like, I want a divorce, throws the ring at Alex. Alex explodes.
1: He explodes all over her. It's wild and crazy. At this point, the house has been steadily catching fire since that lantern scene. So at this point, a lot of rooms are on fire. She sees the ghost of Mr. LaBelle. Yeah, she does. And the ghost kind of like... Winks at her.
0: Yes! Essentially, there's like a burst of fire... And you see Mr. LaBelle sitting in his chair, like it's like a ghost. And he he like winks at her like, good job.
1: Wow. So she walks outside. Well, she first she grabs Becky's cigarette case. Then she walks outside, lays herself a cigarette as we hear sirens off screen. And paramedic asks her what happened. And she responds, in-laws.
0: And then the movie cuts. But it's a really good scene of them like zooming up on her face. Like she is not upset. She is not sad. She is just so like fucking done and indifferent it's just a masterfully done like final mic drop scene and then that's how the movie ends and i just loved it it's so it's i can't speak highly enough of this movie i know a lot of people held this in high regard in terms of their favorite movies of Mm -hmm. 2019 just because it's just a horror comedy that just does everything right
1: I think the thing that I liked about it the most is that it didn't really rely too much on gore comedy like there were a couple like gory besides the exploding bodies (laughs) well the exploding bodies was one but that was so over the top Mm -hmm. it's like it's once they started exploding it was just like a red mist do you know what I mean well there were a couple chunks of things that like fell from the ceiling Or the death gurgles. But I feel like there were just so many other, like, genuinely funny things like dialogue and timing, like I mentioned. And I don't know, I just appreciated that. Like, it wasn't a horror comedy that relied on one type of comedy. It actually had really funny things in it. Also, I thought it was interesting that Alex exploded after she took off the wedding ring. Mm -hmm. Because I guess if she, like, I guess it's the thing. Like, if she was in the balance in regards to what family she belonged to, right? She had to play this game to be initiated, then I guess he would be in the balance of what family he belonged to, maybe? Well, he's still
0: related by blood. And same with, like, how Emily's sons exploded.
1: Well, they were innocent. I mean, they're kids. You can't really hold them accountable. And there was even
0: a scene, like, back then that kind of showed that they would still be complicit because Daniel, when he was in the barn with Emily, was saying, like, we all deserve to die. And Emily was like, my sons don't deserve to die. But they did die. So I think as long as they had the Le Domas blood... But that's where I was I was wondering, too, were Charity and Fitch going to explode? But they did because they were complicit in, I guess, what was being perpetuated.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting to talk about the games that each of the people who married into the family were asked to play, because, you know, I don't think it's by accident that the devil kind of singled out Grace as somebody who wouldn't be complicit and as somebody who might threaten this family structure. Because who's to say that she would, based on her performance, this girl is not one to just back down.
0: Right. So this goes back to the article that I mentioned earlier. So she writes in regards to the significance of the games, being that the family is in league with the devil, literally, it becomes clear that the bizarre game ritual is only an initiation to the Le family if they're deemed worthy. By worthy, I mean corruptible or morally impure. When Emily's husband, Fitch, married into the family, Mr. LaBelle dictated his play was Old Maid, a card game for children. (laughs) Fitch laughed off his confusion, but Mr. LaBelle pegged his personality from the outset. Like his wife, Fitch isn't the brightest bulb in the clan, but he can be counted on to give his support no matter how badly he botches it. Similarly, Daniel's wife, Charity, was tasked with playing chess with Mr. LaBelle, a game of strategy. Charity reveals herself to be a very strategic social climber with a death grip on her married into wealth. So that, too, was a perfect fit. As for Grace's unfortunate receipt of the hide-and-seek card, that's also easy to understand as the movie progresses. Her tenacious will to survive an unbending moral code meant Mr. LaBelle realized she wouldn't be the soul-selling type come dawn. I just think that that's crazy. Yeah, because it really was some, like toss aside dialogue in the beginning where it's like my game was all made, my game was chess. There isn't like further discussion or significance of it, but it really does show the reach almost of the devil or the recognition of the devil. This person is going to continue in the sacrifices that I want in slicing the goats and carrying on this wealth and prosperity. this person is deserving. And the entire time, Grace is battling with herself as to whether she is deserving or not of Mm. this Mm -hmm. family, of this opportunity, of this wealth. She's always like looking at her dress like, what the fuck is this? like this was mm. never supposed to be me. This still isn't supposed to be me. but by the devil standards, which pretty much proves that she is morally a good person, yeah, she wasn't good enough quote unquote to be in this family because she's a decent fucking human mm. being. <laughs>
1: And I think that that deliberateness of the devil is right in line with the lore that we get of the devil, which is he's very deliberate and he wants the game to continue. So, of course, he's going to do what he can to weed out the person who might put a stop to the game by pitting an entire family against that person. So, yeah, I think it's cool. And of course, when he winks at her at the end, I don't know, something about the devil himself being like, nice play. Yeah, like that was a moment that was so cool. The biggest plot twist for me was that it was actually real. Right. The whole time I was like, this isn't real. This isn't real. This isn't real. And when nothing happened at the end, I wasn't surprised. But then when they actually started exploding, I was very surprised.
0: But it is satisfying to just see the bad guys go down. It wasn't like they, like, sizzled and burned, and it wasn't like they all just dropped dead. It was this really viscerally satisfying... Like fireworks. fireworks. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, fireworks of them all just being disposed of in this silly, like, exploding way. Mm-hmm. Like, Because that's the thing. I don't think it would have been nearly as satisfying if they all just dropped dead or bled out by their eyes or something more upsetting. That... Is where the comedy ne- needed to come back a little bit right. because it had been so severe for so long. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it's just like, yeah, let's just throw some like buckets of blood in there. And it's just right. awesome. So that's that. That's ready or not. Obviously, a lot to say about marriage, a lot to say about personal autonomy, about. Wealth, the socioeconomic class, men's possessiveness of women and making decisions on behalf of women. Uh, But uh as Samara Weaving, as one of my final girls, proves people who've gone through stuff and have had to work through everything they have will work themselves out of every pickle that they're in. Mm-hmm. And the rich will die. I don't know. <laughs> Very eat the rich mentality. Very the. Speaking of this eat the rich mentality uh-huh. and politics, all of our favorite discussion. <laughs> Next week, we are going to be discussing the hunt.
1: And that is in honor of the inauguration that's coming up. So to kind of keep in the political theme of the time.
0: Yes, it will be debuting on Inauguration Day, assuming there isn't a coup or another threat of democracy between (laughs) now and then, which there likely will be Mm -hmm. knowing who's in office. But either way, The Hunt is another horror comedy, and it's satirical, (laughs) but it's a commentary. Okay, And it's about... Progressives or Democrats that go on a hunting ground and kill Republicans.
1: I have no idea how this is gonna go. I think I'm gonna go into it blind. And just, like, let that be the only thing I know. I really don't know much about it,
0: but we just know... So you we haven't wanna... seen it? No, I have not seen this one. It
1: definitely seems like the kind of movie that, even though progressives are hunting conservatives, it definitely seems like the kind of movie that's going to come for both sides.
0: Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. And I think that'll be very interesting. I haven't heard much about it either way, so we're really going to both be going into this blind, but I think it'll be a nice, lighthearted backdrop to what is hopefully a nice progressive step for this country otherwise. Mm-hmm. So... That's what we'll be doing next week. But otherwise, we appreciate all y'all's uh, all however many of you's patience for us <laughs> taking taking a week for ourselves. And yeah, we recommend you go watch Ready or Not because it's a it's a party. We like it a lot.
1: And the hunt to get ready Absolutely. for next week. Absolutely. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at the horrors podcast. You can also email us at the podcast at gmail.com if you want to get in touch with us. But until next time, we're the horrors. Bye. Bye.